Today on Cover Your Eyes Uncovered, we'll be discussing the wild world of unsolved mysteries. Season 8, Episode 7. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Holly. Unsolved mysteries. Um, so this is different than what we normally do, but I'm kind of excited because I know that we both like really loved this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love it. <laughs> I like the new ones that they made on Netflix too, but they're completely different. It's not even the same vibe or anything. So the old one is the best one, the original. Yeah. I haven't seen the new one. I had recently got back and started rewatching these and I had seen a lot of them already. So I kind of wanted, that's why I asked if you could jump ahead to season eight, Mm -hmm. which actually put us into the nineties, but it's okay. They all seem kind of the same. I watched it in the (laughs) nineties. Oh no. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) So we weren't like little babes anymore, but no. <laughs> yeah, we were hot babes, not little babes <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I feel like this episode was like jam-packed. Really was. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. What made you pick this particular episode? I don't know. I just jumped ahead to like seasons that I thought I had rewatched recently and mm-hmm. just was like eight, seven. That seems good. And then I was like, mm, this is good. yeah so I just want to say that I feel like like they told Robert Stack he's the host of Unsolved Mysteries that you can't wear your glasses but you still have to read the cue cards (laughs) is that why he has this squinty look the serious like okay I think so (laughs) it worked though I I love it I love his voice I did a, I did a terrible job at the beginning. I was just trying to be serious, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched the show probably since I can remember. Yeah, like I don't I don't remember our time without unsolved mysteries. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so it starts out with Robert Stack, and he's in his detective trench coat. <laughs> he's at the call center where you can call to help solve a mystery and it's really dim lighting which i thought was interesting for a call center (laughs) it seemed like the kind of call center i would want to work in because the lighting's good i mean who wants to work under fluorescence it's true i think there's like fog rolling in the background too (laughs) i hope so (laughs) and everyone's wearing trench coats (laughs) (laughs) we start off with this guy tom keeter and what we want to know is is it a murder or a suicide yeah i have not heard of tom keeter i'm sure i saw this episode when it came out Mm -hmm. in fact i sort of remembered it from the last story on the episode i was like i definitely remember this Unsolved Mysteries. Tom Keeter is this guy who was found under... He was crushed under the wheel of his forklift. Forklift, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the cops are like, oh, this is a suicide. Yeah, what are your first thoughts when you hear that someone committed suicide by crushing themselves with a forklift? Were you suspicious? Well, I immediately thought life insurance money Mm -hmm. uh from an accident Mm -hmm. but 
then I thought, well, that sounds like a good yarn and not something that anyone would actually do, which makes me think that maybe it is something someone would do because Mm. nobody would ever believe that they would fake it. I agree. At first I thought, yeah, that seems ridiculous. But then by the end I was like, "Mm -hmm. he did do it himself. All right. So Tom is this dude and he used to work at a place called Black Hills Molding. And what we know from the beginning of the story is there's this girl, Tina Marcotte, and she's finishing her like late shift at Black Hills Molding, a wood processing plant. And she goes outside. It's like midnight and her tire is flat on her car. So she goes back into the payphone because people don't really have cell phones commonly at this time and she calls a friend and is like hey can you come pick me up my tire's flat and her friend's like sure give me a few minutes while they're still on the phone a car pulls up outside the door so tina's like wait hold on and she goes out and talks to someone and then she comes back and tells her friend oh you don't have to get me tom's gonna give me a ride and then her friend's like tom who and then she's like tom that used to work here and then she leaves and that's the last anyone ever sees her the next day Tom and Tina's boyfriend, who she's been living with for like 11 years or something, come to her friend's house, the one that she'd been on the phone with, Vicky, and they're looking for her. They're like, have you seen her? And she's like, no, the last I heard from her, she was getting into a car with someone named Tom, Tom. And then Tom's like, what is it, me? And then she's like, weren't you the Tom that used to work there? And then finally he admits, yeah, I am the Tom that used to work there, but it wasn't me. Tina's boyfriend said, you messing around with my old lady? (laughs) And Tom says, no, it wasn't me once again. And then they keep looking for her. And the friend, you know, he didn't realize that she was on the phone with someone when he pulled up, obviously. Thank God. I mean, not thank God. If he would have realized that, then maybe he wouldn't have murdered her. He wouldn't have. But thank God that she was on the phone with someone. Yeah. They're getting suspicious. All these clues are adding up. And then, like, Tom's wife, they interview his wife, and she's like, it wasn't Tom. He wouldn't have done it. But then she's saying all these things that are, like, clearly implicating him. So then it's like, I feel bad for her because she's just clearly in denial about everything. She's like, well, he came home and he took all of his clothes off, and then he put them in the washing machine including his shoelaces so he was wearing his baseball uniform or softball uniform and he was like oh my car broke down on the way home after the softball game and so yeah he gets home at like 3 30 in the morning that night and then immediately washes his clothes like you said and so it's like that seems normal and then the police you know, interview him and he gave the same story, like, oh, I gave some ride home and my car broke down. But they can't find anyone that saw him on the side of the road with the car broke down. They can't find anyone that he gave a ride home to. And then the next day after he gets interviewed by police, at like 9 a.m., his co-workers find his body under the wheel of his forklift. Yeah. And then it's like, is it suicide? Is it murder? Is it a tragic accident? And then his wife is like, I know he wouldn't commit suicide. Yeah, she thinks he was murdered. Did his wife think that he did this? 
to Tina. She was in denial, right? I mean, it seemed like they didn't really even address her being like, do you think he did those things? You're right. It was that what that really wasn't part of the discussion. I felt like Tom murdering Tina was actually just implied that it was true. Yeah. Her tire was slashed. It wasn't yeah. just a flat tire. Someone deliberately slashed it. He used to work with her and then he rolls up past his old work. At like midnight. Like, what is he doing there? And as you were saying, obviously he didn't think she's going to be on the phone when I pull up. Mm-hmm. And if she hadn't been on the phone, then it would have been like, where, what happened to her? Nobody knows. She was there and now she isn't. It seemed pretty, I mean, from the way they presented it, it looked like he did it. I also yeah. thought though, what if her boyfriend killed him? Mm-hmm. But made it tried to make it look like an accident. You know, he didn't want to leave a family, an innocent family destitute, but he also wanted to get revenge for his girlfriend's murder. Yeah, I think that could be a possibility. I kind of wondered about that too. The police were like, there's no evidence of him being drugged, but it's like, he could get knocked out and then they could just carry him and place him there, you know? Yeah. And they wouldn't have noticed like, oh, that bruise on his head was from when he got knocked out and not from when he got smashed by a forklift. Yeah. <laughs> you could know? hide a lot of evidence. Yeah. So I think it's still possible that maybe her boyfriend did it, but it was probably him because it was the day right after. So yeah. And then, okay, so we're like, not sure, not sure. And then, <clears throat> but like, pretty sure. And then they do an update at the end, though, right? It took four years. And then a judge finally agreed that like there wasn't enough evidence to say it was suicide. So then his wife finally got his insurance yes. money after four years of like yeah. raising these kids on her own. And so awful. I mean, it's so awful for her in so many ways, but it's like, God. And then the bombshell, 16 months after she went missing, they found Tina's body buried under lumber at Tom's place of work. So it's like, hmm. Pretty sure he did it. I'm pretty sure he did it. And I'm pretty sure he killed himself the next day when he knew he was going to get caught. Tom might have been on his way to being a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) because that's like Mm -hmm. some serial killer planning yeah maybe i'd like to think that tom's wife did it because she found out about it and was like "Mm." let's go with that sorry that's why she was so sure that it wasn't suicide (laughs) because she had actually murdered him she's like god damn it i thought for sure that would work (laughs) how could they think it was a suicide oh my goodness no that's like a really awful that one, I was like, oh, this isn't a fun one. No, no. Okay, so I remembered uh, Unsolved Mysteries as being more like creepy happenings at the house next door. Mm-hmm. Was it a ghost or something else? You know, that kind of thing. Not, yeah, like ghosts, aliens. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I also thought, like, at this point while I was watching it, I was like, you know, this is kind of like whenever you visited, um, like, an amusement park when you're, like, eight years old, and then you go back, and you have these memories of it being, like, really huge, and you go back when you're a teenager, and you're all excited about it, and then you realize that it's just, like, a rinky-dink (laughs) like carnival (laughs) and everything's like way smaller than you thought it was it kind of seemed like that but it was because when I was not not because it's like a bad show I enjoyed watching it this time but it was just that when I was a kid I always really looked forward to the supernatural one because it seemed like they would always have did they do they always do that Mm -hmm. where they break it up into the missing wanted like haunting I don't know I never really looked at the pattern but maybe they do I was starting to think that maybe because at that time I think America's most wanted was out Mm. and maybe they were kind of competing or like going more toward that format where they have like the call center and then I think in this episode they brought in like a girl like a correspondent like Kaylee Shea Smith or someone who was like (laughs) This case has been updated from floor, and it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> okay, so this is like a little bit off of the standard 80s mm-hmm. unsolved. Okay, because I was like, this is different than I remember it, but that yeah. was why. I think that might be why. Okay. So they still worked in like a little supernatural, but yeah, I think the earlier stuff is more up our alley. They started going more with like true crime stuff later I guess right well I would have liked to have known more about Tina what kind of books did she read what was going on at that job when Tom was there but I mean that wasn't really what it was about but mm-hmm. I just felt like Tina was the ghost in the mm-hmm. story then we move on to Wanted Ira Einhorn oh my gosh. Yesterday's hippie, today's murder. This one was wild. Was he framed by the CIA? Or was he just a malignant narcissist? I think we got our answer. <laughs> yeah, this story is wild. And I actually, this is one of them too that I remembered, like actually watching. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know this one. So basically, this guy, Ira Einhorn, he's a counterculture guy and in the late 60s, and he was always organizing and protests, and like uh, he is actually the founder of Earth Day, which is fucking demented. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> and that's why it's on 420. Is that? Did I just make up? I don't know. It's in April. (laughs) Is it? I should definitely know this. I really am not sure. Ignore that I said that. Okay. (laughs) He does all of this stuff and is out -hmm. in the community. And everybody thinks that Ira is this peaceful, loving... Uh, hippie who wants you know the earth to be saved and 
the love to reign supreme in the hearts and minds of everyone. But in reality, he's completely possessive, self-absorbed, and has a terrible temper. In addition to the fact that he doesn't bathe on a regular basis and is rather stinky. Now, he gets a girlfriend whose name is Holly, which kind of freaked me out because they were like, Holly was later family. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) So Holly uh, meets him. This is like around 79, I think. Uh, I think 77. 77. Okay. So she meets him and they are a couple for a while. And it's a really terrible relationship. And everyone who knew Holly was like, this was a terrible relationship. He was completely abusive to her. It's just like typical domestic abuse. That right there tells me that this was not a CIA setup. Now, if he had been like some really great guy who everybody was like, oh, my God, they were like had a great relationship. And, you know, I would be like, oh, maybe. But she had like real she had real bruises and things going on for her. For Holly did uh, before. So then she goes missing right around the time that she's like, I am not putting up with this, Ira. We're done. Oh, I also forgot to mention when Holly and Ira met, they moved in together after three days of Mm -hmm. knowing each other. Anytime somebody is willing to move in with you after a really short amount of time, that is a huge red flag for later abuse patterns that they're going to implement upon you. Yes. Oh, wow. Because they want to get you hooked in, stuck somewhere as quickly as they can. And moving in together is is like one of the best ways to get somebody stuck. I just moved my stuff in. Now I have to move it all back out. Like there's like real logistical issues there. Yeah. Like I paid a deposit and now I can't pay one somewhere else. And yeah. Yeah. And then they can keep tabs on you like 24 seven immediately. Yeah. And then Holly goes missing. The next thing you know, Ira is standing there with this giant trunk and there's these two guys, like his friends. And Ira says, Hey, help me move a trunk into the lake. It's filled with Russian documents. <laughs> and the guys are like, that's okay, Ira. Everything's very stinky in this apartment. We gotta go. (laughs) The cops show up 18 months later. 18 months, okay? Uh, Yeah. Now, I I assume Ira was already primed to put up with the smell of decaying human person because he didn't bathe and stuff. But still... You know, I think her family hired private investigators because, like, nothing was being done. And then so they hired someone on their own. Well, he was actually, like, people really respected him in the community. Mm -hmm. So the only people that saw him being terrible were people that were intimate with him. 
um, which is really also very common for what's known as a communal narcissist, which is Mm. like a person that they get all of their attention and glory and satisfaction of being the star from under the guise of look at all of these people I'm helping. And I feel like we've all been around people where, <laughs> where they were like, they have this big talk about everybody that they help. And you're just kind of like, why are you talking about it so much? <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes me kind of suspicious. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like the classic, like, well, I'm just, you know, I think I'm a really good person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on like a bigger scale. Right. <laughs> I haven't looked that much into communal narcissism because it's not something that I like. I don't have like uh, people that I'm in relationships with where I need to figure that out or anything. But but this actually made me want to look more into it because I was like, whoa, this guy is like a classic example of somebody who is leading this life to get, you know, with all these accolades and being able to fool a community. Yeah. So that when his girlfriend goes missing, nobody even thinks anything about it. And then finally the people in the apartment below him are like, what is this brown stuff licking from the ceiling? And it stinks really bad. And then the cops are there. And the cop that was, he was like, got interviewed. He was like, I knew immediately what that smell was, which apparently if you've smelled it once, you never forget. I mean... I guess if I smelled it again, I would recognize it. I mean, I smelled it in a lab, but you can still smell it. Yeah. Like their body was decayed and like starting to liquefy, basically. So it's a distinct odor. Could you describe it? And putting Vicks under your nose doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) The silence of the lambs lied. Yeah. doesn't help enough at all um I don't even know how to describe it it's just a terrible odor like Mm. terrible and then especially when you know what it's from that makes it even more terrible was it like why was the body that way um it was they lived alone and they had like overdosed and no one found them for a long time yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be a pathologist. <laughs> did that, was that one of the, did you think about being a pathologist? Mm-hmm. Was yeah. that something that made you go, no thanks? Or mm-hmm. was it actually that moment that? That was one of them. Yeah. I think if I, you could do it without the smells, I might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's no joke. It's they're not these detectives aren't just being no, it's not a joke. It's powerful and distinct. 
did you have a visceral response to it? I mean, I didn't like retch or anything like that, but it's just like, oh man, it's just inescapable, you know? It really penetrates your nostrils and you can't get away from it. I guess it's maybe like living on a farm, you start just getting used to the smells over time and you don't notice them as much. So maybe if I did it for a long time, I wouldn't be bothered by the smells as much, but I wasn't willing to take that risk. (laughs) And there were a lot of flies in there too. Really? That was probably the grossest part. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of Why? I'm guessing just from like people's bodies coming in with maggots on them. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's real shit. The flies. That was the other part that was just like, oh, no, because I was thinking, yeah, that's probably where these flies are continually coming from. Because everything was like pretty sealed. They weren't like coming in through the windows, you know, it wasn't like there was a screen door open or anything. It was like they're in there. That was the source. <laughs> and the doctor was like, Well, now you gotta excuse me here because uh, the air conditioner went out again. <laughs> wasn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, wow. I know. So yeah, the ooze coming from the ceiling, that's when I was like, oh no. And the the people were like, we told the landlord he didn't do anything. <laughs> it's like, that's great. I feel like um, the 70s, the, a slogan for the 1970s could just be, we tried to tell them, but they didn't do anything. <laughs> Nobody yeah. listens to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> And everyone thinks they're right. <laughs> I mean, that's you- today. <laughs> the 80s, 90s, and today. It wasn't Russian documents in that trunk, it turns out. No. <laughs> it was so terrible. It was Holly. Yeah. Then he's just standing there. They're like all in the kitchen. He just stands there as they're pulling out the trunk. And I mean, he knows what's in there. And then they're like, Looks like we found Holly. And he's like, you found what you found. God, what an asshole. I bet that guy really thinks he's right about everything all the time. Yeah. Clearly. The statement, you found what you found, is like classic statement of somebody who you could also call the professor as an insult because they don't actually know anything but they think they know everything (laughs) so he's clearly guilty it's like the body's in his apartment and then he hires this like big powerful attorney who becomes a senator later what's his name like warren specter or something phil specter (laughs) He hires Phil Spector attorney. He's like, I have the right wig for this job. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. But yeah. And so the attorney gets him bail, out on bail. When they found a body in his apartment. It's like, uh, how does this happen? And then he flees the country, of course. Like they knew he would. 
And yeah, he's it's, gone. It's, it's Arlen Specter. Arlen Specter. Okay. Yeah. Not Orin. <laughs> Close. We're mixing them up. I was talking to somebody, you know, I was talking about somebody, you know, I was like, I don't know. He kind of reminds me of Lin- Lindsey Graham. And my friend looked at me real funny and I was like, what? And she goes, Lindsey Graham, the senator. And I was like, no, Lindsey Buckingham. (laughs) Very different. (laughs) Can you believe it? He flees the country. What I think is that um, the judge was biased because he killed his girlfriend and that there's a, a weird empathy that these guys, a lot of these guys had for each other back then of like, well, sometimes you just got to kill your lady. It's like, hey, Joe, where are you going mm-hmm. with that gun in your hand? I'm going on down to shoot my old lady. I caught her messing around with another man. That's a classic. And yet, what is it about? It's about killing your girlfriend because she doesn't want to be with you anymore. Tale as old as time. Yeah. So I think there's some bias going on there with why he ended up getting bail. Apparently his bail was, he had to pay like $4,000 and it was paid by a socialite because everyone, he was like the hippie du jour. Everyone wanted to be like, oh, I'm friends with this hippie. Mm -hmm. I'm cool. He, he started, started Earth Day, Day. <laughs> on April 22nd, not April 20th. Close. So, yeah, that was like 1979 when they finally found her. And then he fled the country and apparently he was living in like Ireland and places like that. It seems like they like knew he was there. I kind of missed part of that. But yeah. it's like they couldn't get him. Yeah. And then finally someone saw him. They recognized him from TV, someone, a Swedish viewer. It was also featured on America's Most Wanted, the story. They were definitely competing. Yeah, totally. So anyway, then he got brought in and he did get extradited back to the United States eventually. But they tried him in absentia in 1993. Yes. Which is cool. Yeah, that's super cool. I liked that they did that. I also liked, you know, sometimes whenever um, people are like weirded out because I know a lot about murders <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but whenever I'm watching a show about it or which I don't do that often, but like whatever, you know, I'm like participating in these horrible stories by watching them. I'm like. There's always like a detective or a reporter or a family member that Mm -hmm. will say something and have a show of emotion that is just so genuine and pure of heart and so very human. And it actually is heartwarming. And there's like this little piece that's heartwarming in this awful fucking story. And I think that's why I always come back to... Uh, crime there was that detective in this case that was so angry that they let him out that they let ira out on bail and just his expression i was like of emotion i just really warmed my heart in the story so that was like the thing out of it that i found besides that 
he eventually got caught. What happened was that the next story was about a guy who was missing. Mm -hmm. And he was a bank robber, not a bank robber. I think he robbed convenience stores and he was uh, diagnosed with schizoid affective (laughs) disorder. I think you're mixing up two stories that they showed in a row. I shouldn't have stopped you. I should have kept going. Let you kept going and see <laughs> what you came up with. Oh my god! What were you so funny. <laughs> um, Well, he had schizoaffective disorder, and so then he was robbing banks eventually. Because he ran away and then they couldn't find him after that. Is that the story? <laughs> I kind of zoned out because I was like, I felt really bad. For, I felt really bad for the guy that they kept showing those reenactments of like the little boy and he was like getting really mad or he was like had no emotion. And I was like, Oh, that poor little boy. And then I was like, just watched two horrible stories in a row where women got murdered. And I was like, I sort of zoned out for it. And then I was like, when are we going to get to the ghost story? (laughs) So take it away. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me finish. Let me just say that Ira Einhorn, after he was convicted, he did get sentenced to life in prison. And then he died in prison on April 3rd, 2020 at the age of 79. In Pennsylvania. It would have been weird if he had died on Earth Day. Um, He's also called Unicorn because that's what his name means in German. Oh, okay. Is that why you picked this episode? Because the word Unicorn was in it? No, that was just another bonus of picking this episode. Um, Okay. So, yeah. The next one was the boy... Jim Kimball, I guess, who was lost. He was the one with schizoaffective. Yes. James Donald Kimball from Oak Park, Illinois. I think that's where like Ferris Bueller is from. He everyone in John Hughes movies from there. But yeah, he had schizoaffective disorder and possibly bipolar disorder. And then he went missing. 1993 on Easter weekend, he like came home to visit the family for Easter and had a nice time. But then he got upset at the family's like speaker system. And he was starting to have a tantrum, his brother said, and then he just left and then they never saw him again. So at that point, I think he was like 20 something. He was living in what they called like a halfway house at that time. They went looking for him like that night, but he was already gone. And I think it was like 11 years later, they said, was it 11 years or 11 months later? I guess I should have taken notes. But a police officer in Indiana saw a guy laying on the side of the road and he called him over and was like, hey, buddy, can I check you out? And he seemed drunk, but then he blew a zero on the breathalyzer, but he just seemed like altered in some way. And then so the cop let him go. And then later he saw like the missing picture of Jim and was like, oh, that was him. But that's like the only lead they ever had. Oh, because until I thought, they found him bankrupt. <laughs> I, I, I thought that 
was the same guy. And I was like, well, he's not really missing if they know he's a bank robber, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. Wow. I don't know what happened. I really zoned out there. Now, I might have missed something because after this, on the list, it says there was a story about a Nassau County bank robber, but I didn't see that. I don't remember seeing that. <laughs> you, you lost time, too. We both yeah. lost time during that part. So it must have come on right after Robert's story or it Jim's did. story. Well, and in then the you end- melded them together and I just like yeah. slept through it or I don't know. How did I not see this? Well, the other thing is that I think what made me remember it that way too is that, or what made me think that was because he did have an encounter with a cop. So I bet I like went and got a glass of water and missed (laughs) missed part of it and came back and I was like, what is he robbing banks now? Like this is horrible. The guy was like six foot two, medium build, brown hair that was robbing the bank. So it almost like matches the description too. (laughs) That's what I thought. Well, I wonder that well, it kind of makes me sadder that they that he's just a missing person. No, yeah. I wish he were robbing banks so that we would know he was like alive and okay and stuff. Yeah. Neither of those are updated as solved. Yeah. That's so weird. It makes me want to go back and rewatch and see, like, how did I miss the whole bank robber segment? There's so many. This is an unsolved mystery. It is. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. How did you miss this? I don't know. I watched all of it because I was enjoying it. And I, like, splurged out and got McDonald's yesterday and just, like, Mm -hmm. ate on the couch and ate (laughs) all this crappy food and I even got like a shamrock shake which they always advertise and I'm like that sounds gross but I got a daily deal coupon in the app where I could get a shake for only a dollar so I'm like I'm gonna try it I was having a great time yesterday watching this and I didn't leave so I don't know how I missed it wow weird Maybe I was so deep into my shake, I just like zoned out. I was going to say, do you think the leprechaun stole some of your memories? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So the next segment was somewhat supernatural. Yeah. It was like true crime and supernatural combined. Mm -hmm. Um, The Covewood Lodge story. That's what they call it. And it was about a girl named Grace and a boy who was the heir to like the Gillette fortune or worked in the Gillette factory, the movie, A Place in the Sun mm-hmm. with Elizabeth Taylor and, oh, and Montgomery Clift. Yeah. That's the other thing where I was like, oh my God, Holly loves Montgomery Clift. And there's yeah. like a whole story about him <laughs> and this one guy who like says that he's the reincarnation of montgomery what i've mentioned this to you before i said i was gonna look it up yeah i never have (laughs) i'm going to i want to know more about this yes so then i was like man there's so many things in this episode Mm -hmm. and shelly winters was the other one of the movie yes she was great in that movie well that's like i love that movie i've never seen it yeah but it looks good and 
terrible. We could so watch like, it sometime. Loosely based on this story. Very loosely. But okay, so the story of this is like in 1906, a girl named Grace Brown was murdered. Um, she worked at the Gillette clothing factory. And then she was 19. She lived with her parents. She was pretty and sweet. Everyone loved her. And then the owner of the factory, his nephew, like worked there too. And then he started flirting with her. And then apparently he started dating her and coming to her house and like getting her to see him unchaperoned, which was like very taboo at the time. And so her friends were like, what are you doing? You know, he's just using you. But she was in love with him. And it was probably like her first love. I mean, she's 19 in 1906, you know? Oh, my God. And she's like, oh, he's wealthy and he's handsome and he loves me. But then she would see him like out on the... He never took her anywhere, though. He never took her on dates or out to dinner or anything. And then she would see him like outside of the factory talking to like wealthy socialite women, which would be more acceptable for his class. So she was just like his dirty little secret that he was using, sounds like, unfortunately. But she didn't know that for sure. And she was in love. And then, of course, she gets pregnant. And then she's like begging him to marry her. Because if you're unmarried and pregnant in 1906. Ladies, kill yourself. Yeah. That's how pro-life. That if you're an unwed mother, (laughs) society is happier with you if you kill yourself and your baby than they are than if you have the baby and then everyone communally takes care of the baby because it's a human living breathing creature and bringer of beauty and joy called a baby jesus that's what it made me think of it's basically like a death sentence at that time that They're either going to like completely ostracize you from society. Her family probably would have kicked her out. She would have been like penniless and destitute and alone. Everybody would abandon her. Her friends would probably abandon her. She'd get fired. Hmm. 100% oh, for sure. For sure. And, so, but really the big question is why was she seeing this boy without a chaperone? Exactly. I mean, now this is why people had to have chaperones at the time. Because <laughs> if you got pregnant, your life was pretty much over. So I can see why oh, they yeah. were so strict about that. I'll tell you what, if this was a if this was something that I had to deal with in back in the day, I would for sure insist upon a chaperone because I would not be able to control myself otherwise. Mm-mm. No. Chastity belt for you. She's pregnant. She's like begging him, please marry me because it's your baby and I'm going to be destroyed if I'm a single mother at this time. And then he's like, oh, let's go away to the Adirondacks. And she's like, okay, I guess he's going to propose to me and like make me a proper lady now. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I guess they're staying in this cabin. They go rent a canoe to go out in the lake. And the guy that rents them the canoe that night, he's like, hmm, they're not back yet. That's weird. But it's like, you know, what's he going to do? He just figures they'll bring it back the next day. And then the next day, they're still not back. And so he goes out searching and he finds the canoe overturned with her jacket 
nearby and he's like that's her jacket i know it and then they see her body just like floating in the water but of course mr gillette is nowhere around he's in a hotel like just going on with his life and then when they finally track him down he says he doesn't even know her it's like he was just gonna completely erase her from his life and pretend he had nothing to do with it that he never even knew her and it's like how long do you think you could keep going with that? She worked in your factory. Everyone knew you were dating. He just thought he could lie and get away with that because he was like rich and he had been getting away with things for his whole life. And he said that she was so upset that they were breaking up, that he was breaking up with her or that she was pregnant, that she killed herself mm-hmm. and drowned herself in the lake. Yeah. It's but the people weren't buying it which was amazing yeah the jury was like you're full of it and they found him guilty of first degree murder which i was shocked and he got the electric chair yeah they show that in the movie and they do well i can't remember if they i don't think they show him like (laughs) but i mean i think they show elizabeth taylor being like oh my god she had like a tragic death she was completely betrayed and murdered by the love of her life which will leave like a strong psychic imprint on an area i would say and then and then not only that she was then basically like slandered all over the place by him and in the media he tried to make himself out to be like a sympathetic figure and in the movies he's made out to be like a sympathetic figure and she's like an ugly nag hag that's awful okay i love that movie i watched it when i was a kid it's very complicated because they portray her so that you are seeing things really from his perspective and it's not questioned in this really odd way that is pretty disturbing it sounded disturbing the way robert stack was describing it to me and he theorized that that's another reason why she's so unsettled because she's being misrepresented throughout time and they're making him like the victim well i mean It's Montgomery Clift, okay? Look at his face. He's got the face of a person that you just want to take care of. He's He doesn't have the face of a murderer. Yeah. In the movie, though, he pulls it off, of course, because he's an incredible actor. But just to look at him, you don't go like, oh, there's a killer. I agree. I believe the ladies. I think that they saw her. Yeah, so... Two different groups of people say that they saw her ghost at this cabin. I want to go there. Listen. We should meet there. We should go there. I love cabins. You love cabins. And the one story, it was like this woman would reunite with her childhood friend there. Yeah. Whenever I heard that, I was like, oh, my God. It's so funny. I know. I wonder if it's still there. We I mean, it's, it's funny that you picked that episode, this episode, because the segment where Montgomery Cliff has a, there's like childhood friends meeting 
at a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good pick, I have to say. I agree. Like, I definitely think that the haunting would be real. I do too. Would we bring a Ouija board? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be scared. Yeah, I'm. I'm not into Ouija boards. I mean, you're not 12 anymore. Well, I feel like our our Ouija board experience, the really scary Ouija board experience, was mm-hmm. kind of like I'm good with Ouija boards. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Although we did get a Ouija board. When we were hanging out that one time. That's right. And it was really crappy. And you were like, I'm returning this. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. Now, did we actually try it? I don't think we did. I don't either. The planchette mm-hmm. was broken. Or like one of the little bottom felties came off of it or something. I don't remember exactly. That's but... right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we did it. That's cool that we like thought about it though. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like almost like we came over to your place where you guys were staying and we, we yes. did it. It kind of seems like maybe our husbands were a little freaked out. I think they were. Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And Dan and I did have a Ouija board experience where we saw an orb and he doesn't believe in any of that stuff. Yeah. Like at all. Did I he made him do that? it. Did he believe in it after that? He believes that, like, we both saw this orb together. I don't know that he believes in Ouija boards, but he does think his apartment was haunted because other things happened there. Hmm. And he's not like, you know, I'm like that. He's not like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if for we him- both saw this orb go across the dining room um, and we looked at each other and we just were like silent and we were like, okay, let's put this away. <laughs> didn't even talk about it (laughs) until like later that night or the next day wow yeah yeah that was real like we did have real experiences yeah me you him Mm -hmm. let's not do it let's go there but let's not ouija yeah ouija or ouija (laughs) okay i'm gonna make that a goal for 2022 to 2023 sometime yeah um so that was that story yeah there was a movie a place in the sun and an american tragedy and they both were like extremely sympathetic to the murderer wow crazy (sighs) and then the last segment that's all i remember but then it says there was like an update on a wanted person Mm-hmm. Richard Ford and Matthew Crome. Oh, I think those were like two escaped convicts. Yeah, that was from a different episode. Yeah. I I totally zoned out after <laughs> the ghost story. After the ghost. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed it. I want to watch more, I think. I love this show. I'd like to watch the older ones before they were competing, competing with America's Most Wanted. Yeah. I can redo it. Um a season one, even though yeah. I watched it again like not that long ago, I'll still rewatch it. Awesome. Cause they're just that good. And the hairstyles <laughs> else to say about it. Gosh, I don't know. I mean it wasn't funny. Mm-mm. Um, I guess I was thought maybe it would be like kind of funny. 
but it wasn't, it was very serious. And Robert Stack's voice is like a lullaby of my childhood. Weirdly. I guess that says a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice to hear his voice again. I really am glad that Ira got caught. Me too. I feel like they packed so much into one show. They did. I mean, so much so that I uh, hallucinated a completely <laughs> different story out of two of the stories and you totally blacked out for one of the stories. <laughs> yeah (laughs) it was jam-packed that's quality tv (laughs) um yeah it was great okay yeah we'll do another one sometime i liked it it's the gift that keeps on giving like i'll keep re-watching the show forever probably (laughs) i think and every time you see it there's always a hope that one of the mysteries have been solved since the last time you saw it and That's because true. of the wonders of the internet, you can look it up and see if it's true. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to the library and search through microfiche of newspapers from around the country that you have to order <laughs> in the mail. People are like, what is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, awesome. Good. I did want to say one thing. I feel like the theme song reminded me of the X-Files theme song a little bit. There's some serious X-Files vibes going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed that too. Until next time. Keep it mysterious. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another very wonderful episode. We'll be back sometime, surprisingly, mysteriously. When you least expect it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast.